All righty. Hey, come on back. Grab your Bibles and uh, turn to John chapter 16. So we will be in John chapter 16 today. And uh, yes, Autumn, I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you. Hey, we're going to put up a graphic here. We decided to do it after the kids left because I don't think your kids are driving your cars, but maybe they are. And listen, we got we to gotta be creative in parking. So we want to tell you where you can park here. Many of you folks don't know where you can park. And then we park in people's front yards, and that's no fun. But no, I'm kidding. But you see where the West E Diner is and where Calvary Chapel is. And uh, so is that Calvary Chapel, Autumn? Yeah, so the yellow's Calvary Chapel. Look, look at Autumn, man. This is amazing. It's like, it's like we're really high tech, yes. So that's where we are. Look. You can park down the street right behind the church, and you can park on 5th Street there, and also the, the street right beside the um, uh, uh, borough building. You can park in there. But, you know, you've got to fight with the Westie Diner because they're so crowded, which is a good problem. But I don't know if you know this, but we can park down the street. There's two possible places, yes. You can, man, oh man, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> you can park down the street. There, there is a place down here called uh, MS Associates. And in this street behind the church, right down there on the left, on the left is a parking lot. You can't park in the signs that say reserved for the employees. There's one employee that works there every Sunday. So don't park there, but there's like, I'd say 15 or so parking spots there in MS Associates parking lot. And then... MS Associates owns a gravel lot. It's right here where 5th Street is and Grant Street. I park there every time. Listen, I know it's a long way. It is one block, so don't overexert yourself. <laughs> but I always laugh because the young 20-year-olds, they pull up right here in front of the church and park right there. And you're like, hey, guys, you can, you can take it down the street. But anyway, whatever. But you can park there, too. You can also park on 837, and if it's yellow there, the police, we've checked with the police, they don't care. You're welcome, welcome to park on 837. And I just want you to know that there are these parking spots here because uh, sometimes I know we have to get creative and just keep praying to the Lord that uh, someday uh, we would have a parking lot. But that's okay. Uh, we're, you know, the Lord's working on it. So, <laughs> But anyway, these are the places you can park. And uh, thank you, Autumn, for those graphics. If you have any questions about where to park, don't see me, see Xander, okay? <laughs> but anyway... Um, Here's another thing I want to tell you. Listen, we have Bibles in the back. Uh, there's just a few back there, but we have more. And um, this is what we did. We went and got some stickers. And inside here, uh, it tells where Calvary Chapel is. And uh, it says, uh, there, there's one sort of mistake in here. It says, for great Bible teaching, look us up on iTunes, Google Podcast, and Stitcher. I'm kind of... That was a joke at myself, if you didn't catch that. Or you can download the Word for Today app, and that's the uh, Word for Today is Pastor Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapel. You could do that. And then it has the gospel message right there. And what we're saying to you is, 
Take a Bible, put it in your backpack, take it. You don't have to give or anything, just put it in there. Take it and take it around with you. And when you get to somebody who's hurting or you can pray with or you can share with, give it away, okay? Those are back there. If you can't find more, Xander knows where they are. He'll be up here after the service. We want you to take them, okay? We want you to take them. We want you to take the Calvary Chapel magazines and uh, that has that on the back as well. Hey, I'm gonna do something else I've never done in my life. I'm a little nervous about it. But because of Rob and the lyrics team, I already did it once today. I sort of sang a solo over here when he paused during Blessed Assurance. <laughs> I was all set for the, you know, the chorus and I launched out into it and nobody else sang but me. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing another song today, and I'm going to sort of lead it, but boy, you're in trouble. And we're going to sing this together, okay? So you guys, I think you know this song. I've never done this before. I have sang Happy Birthday, but here we go. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plain repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Give yourself a clap. <clears throat> I've never done that before, but you guys took over, and so you didn't have to listen to me. Uh, joy to the world. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, I don't know if some of you are like this. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But all of a sudden, you know, uh, October comes and you're done with the pumpkin spice latte, although some of you drink it all year long, and um, even when it's 105 out. But anyway, uh, and you, you're done with the pumpkin spice latte and you've now gotten to Thanksgiving and watched the football game and uh, then you turn the page and it's uh, Christmas season and uh, you become you're aware that uh, people start to get nice and uh, when they formerly weren't nice and they're saying things like Merry Christmas or Joy to the World and they're even singing the songs and many of them are on the radio and what's interesting about that song it's really not a Christmas song it's just a Christian song but the point is, sometimes when you get to these seasons, you don't feel very joyful. In fact, even if you're walking with the Lord, some of us become, or some of us are 
confused with what the Lord's doing, maybe even sometimes hold bitterness towards the Lord for the situation that you're in. Uh, Maybe you don't even understand what he's doing or why he's doing or what you're doing at this time in your life. Relationships have gone off the rails. Finances are in the toilet or um, uh, friendships have gone awry and you don't feel very joyful or whatever. There's a death in the family. There's uh, many other things. There's sickness or whatever. And this week, as we study the last part of John chapter 16, Jesus says this. He knows. He knows how we feel. He had a group of 12 men, and by this point in John 16, that's been trimmed to 11 men. And he's been in the upper room, and you know the things that he's been doing. He's been showing them how to serve. But then as they gathered up their things after dinner and began to walk towards the Kidron Valley and up to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would sweat drops of blood while his inner circle, some of his disciples slept, He gives them lots of uh, words uh, about what's coming. And what's unfortunate or fortunate, I don't know how you feel about it, is the disciples don't totally understand what he's talking about. He's just finished with them, as Xander taught us last week, about a coming helper, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, That's what he taught about in the first part of John chapter 16. By the way, he didn't have chapter breaks as he was preaching this, but he's teaching about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was going to come and be a helper and to come alongside and to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and to lead people into all truth. And disciples in some way must have been scratching their head. Jesus had been telling them he had to go away and to die, and yet they didn't totally understand it. Their hearts were for throwing off Roman occupation and the injustice of oppression being put away. In fact, they had even been arguing at this supper that they were at this, this cracks me up. It's so like human nature. They'd even been arguing at this supper who was going to be greatest with him. Like their cab, who was going to be the prominent cabinet, cabinet members when he set up his kingdom. And they thought it was coming and they didn't understand exactly what had to happen. And here, Jesus now gives them straight talk. Straight talk. And so when you begin to read chapter 16, verse 16 through the end of the chapter, I want you to know that the people he, were t- he was talking to were sort of confused, hurt, bitter. They're, listen, what is, what, I don't even know what the word is for. When you have certain expectations and those expectations are popped and they're not what you thought was going to happen. 
Especially when you think it in the Lord. Lord, oh, you're doing this wonderful work and we're walking down this sweet, wonderful lane or this path that you've taken me on. And boom, he redirects you to something that's hard or tough or even, I dare say, suffering. Tribulation and trials. And that's where we find these people right now. Maybe some of you are sitting here today and you feel like that. You're confused, you're upset, your expectations, so, so funny. Our expectations of what we think the Lord should do have not been met, and you're upset and tired and wondering, and you find yourself in that place. And Jesus, before he really says what's the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17, What I think is the Lord's prayer is not our Father who art in heaven. That was the disciples' prayer. (laughs) The Lord's prayer is in John chapter 17, this holy of holy prayers where we see our Lord Jesus Christ interacting in prayer with the Father for himself, for his disciples, and for disciples all time. That's John chapter 17. But before he gets there to the prayer, he speaks plainly, to the disappointments, the hurts, the, the uh, popped expectations, the letdowns, the expectations that didn't turn out to the people that he loves, these disciples. And here's what he says. Let's read it in John chapter 16, verse 16. He says this, A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Verse 17, then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us, a little while, and you will not see me? And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says, a little while, We do not know what he is saying. Now, Jesus knew what they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, or in the King James, verily, 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 I say to you that you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Wow. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Wow, praise God. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. 
In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you. Somebody should need, needs to underline that. All of us need to underline it. But somebody in particular needs to hear that today and know it and have it down deep in their soul. The Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me, Jesus says, and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, see now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe, indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me, in me, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, cheer up. I have overcome the world. (laughs) Why don't you do me a favor and pray as I retrieve my folder of my notes. But anyway, bow your heads and we will pray together. Well, Lord, we come together and uh, what a powerful piece of scripture. We're so thankful that we've arrived here. And we just ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work as we unpack this, look at this, study this, think on this. But we need your Holy Spirit, and so we're asking, Lord, that you would knit these things into our hearts, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Well, there we go. I've got my notes. We can stay till two. (laughs) There you go. Well, here we are, as I've indicated, you have a bunch of uh, fellas here who are sort of confused maybe even a bit disappointed, maybe their bubbles have been burst, their expectations, and yet they love the Lord and want to follow the Lord, and he keeps telling them he has to go away, and they're wondering, what's up with that? We want to be uh, in the kingdom, we want to uh, overturn the Romans, and we want to set that kingdom up so that we can have cushy jobs in the kingdom. It's all about us. Human nature shows forth. And Jesus enters in and says, in a a little while, and you will not see me. That word means gaze upon me. A little while, and you're not going to be seeing me. You're not going to be able to look upon me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. You'll perceive, the word or the phrase in the Greek means, with bodily eyes. You're going to look at me because I go to the Father. Now, this could mean a couple things. Here in just a few hours, Jesus will be dead. Physically, he's going to go into the grave and certainly there for those three days, he's not going to be seen with the disciples or the followers of Christ's eyes. But then, you know the story, on Sunday, he's going to rise and he's going to uh, have an empty tomb and he's going to appear to his disciples and to many others. Corinthians tells us that in Galilee, he actually appeared to 500. Now, I've said this before, and you probably get sick of it. 
But let's say you're downtown and you're doing a jury trial. But let's not say jury trial. Let's just say a bench trial. But even if you were doing a jury trial, let's say you were uh, having a trial in front of the the judge and you know uh, you brought in one witness and said, yeah, I saw Jesus and here's where I saw him and da-da-da-da-da-da. And then you brought in the next witness and you said, yeah, I saw Jesus and here's where, and you brought in the next witness. Here, yep, I saw him. You know what the judge would say after about the fourth or fifth time? Enough. We get the picture. But here, Jesus has appeared to many. And he's telling them that a little while, you're not going to see me. I'm going to die and be in the grave. But a little while and you will see me. And so it could mean just in the short term that he's not going to be seen for that time that he's in the grave, but that he will appear back to them in the upper room, for instance. And, you know, he appeared to the, the folks or the guys on the road to Emmaus. It, it, it could mean that, and it does mean that. But there is an even farther place. These All of these disciples were going to die a martyr's death. Of course, John is going to last Uh, the longest, and when they die and go to be with the Lord, they're going to see Jesus as he goes to, or they go to heaven. But whatever, they're going to see him. They are going to see him. A little while, and you'll not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me because I go to the Father. And that's interesting to them because he goes where his Father is. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, look what they're saying. What is this that he says to us? Now, I want you to pay real good attention here. This is what people do in the church. They've got a question. They're scratching their head about something. And they're all primed and ready to run around and to talk to everybody except Jesus himself. Are you getting that? Listen, nobody here uh, doesn't like counselors or anything like that. Of course, we like counselors. But watch this. They're in the same place at Jesus, and they're over in the corner trying to figure out what Jesus means. It's ridiculous. You get me? Some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? You know, he's talking this little while, and you'll not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and that's because I go to the Father. And they said, therefore, what is it that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. You know who the best teacher is? Jesus. (laughs) The Spirit of Christ. When we're reading the Word of God or trying to figure out something that's happening in our life. We don't really understand it. We don't know why our expectations have been here, and but now we're going on this path or that path. Or maybe we're in the middle of tribulation or trial or suffering, and we can't figure it out. And the one thing, or maybe somebody has talked about you, stabbed you in the back, or done something like that. And the number one thing that we run to is we run around to everybody in the church and we discuss it and we discuss it and we overanalyze it. We overanalyze it. And God says through his word, you have not because you ask not. It's right here in front of your face. I'm right here in front of your face. You don't serve a dead God. Just like this, Jesus is alive. 
You get it? What is it in our human nature that wants to talk and run around the problem? And oh, by the way, there is wisdom in getting counsel from mature people. Nobody's saying that. But why is it the last thing oftentimes we do is take it to the Lord? You know, if you haven't gone downstairs, I hope it's still there. <laughs> I can't keep track. And purchased that book, and purchase sort of a weird word, but you just get it for cost. But anyway, Prayer by O. Hallisby. If you haven't read that book, I don't know what I should say now. But anyway, go read this book. It's one of the most freeing, wonderful, liberating books on prayer. And I have to say, not that I'm bragging, but I read the books on prayer. I've read all the major books on prayer. You name it, I've read it. But that one, and it's so right there in front of your face. And he describes prayer as this. He, used the, he uses the Revelation scripture where uh, Jesus is, is there knocking at the door of your heart. And all you have to do is open and let him in. And he says prayer, oh, Hallisby does, this Norwegian author. He says all prayer is, is or recognizing that you are helpless and you need stuff. And you're just opening the door to your heart and say, Lord, I need help here. And he uses the story of his mom at the wedding as a great example. I think it's beautiful. You know, Mary goes to him and just says, hey, they've run out of wine. And, you know, they go through some stuff. But then she just leaves it with Jesus. And then she goes back to the servants. She just says, just do what he says. <laughs> She just leaves it with Jesus and doesn't fret about it and worry about it. And some people believe Mary was sort of like one of the hostesses because uh, this family might have been related to Mary. But whatever, it would have been, been embarrassing, she knew, for the people who were putting on the wedding and maybe even her. And she didn't fret about it. And that's the point. She just knew she had a need or they had a need. And she opened up her heart, their hearts. We need this, Lord. And then left it there. Who here needs to hear that word? Many of us are up all night worrying about things and situations. When we serve a risen, alive, living Lord who's right there. And he now has opened up the heavens to the Father, the creator of the universe, for you to come at any time by the blood of Jesus, you can come anytime, and it says in the Bible, if you need help or in need, you can go to his throne room and you don't have to do it sheepishly anymore. You can come boldly, not boldly like, give me what I want, boldly by the blood of Christ when you need mercy and grace. And who here needs mercy and grace? Yes. It's incredible. Stop, and I'm talking to myself first. Stop running everywhere else but the Lord. Take your needs, your hurts, your disappointments, your things, your anxieties, your fears, your joys, your triumphs. Take them to the Lord first. That's what he says. 
They're there. We don't know what he is saying. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. Of course, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? (laughs) I'm sort of reading that in a smart aleck tone, but I don't think Jesus was. God always gets us to voice what's going on inside. Isn't that interesting? You know, in the garden, you know, what is it you've done? You don't think the Lord knew what they had done? He knew. Why was he asking them to voice what they had done? Because there's something about repentance and asking for forgiveness that cleanses us. It's cathartic. It's Lord. Yes, he knows you've already done it. So go to him. God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's cathartic. Don't hide it from the Lord. And I know we do. We sort of think, well, you know, you know, nobody's around, so I'll, I'll look at that website. Hmm, really? Or, you know, uh, nobody's here while I'm filling out my taxes. But the Lord knows. And he asks us to express ourselves. And he here says, he knew, or he, he knew that they desired to ask him. So, He says to them, most assuredly, most assuredly or verily, verily. In other words, in my my way of saying it, listen up. Pay attention here. Listen up. I say to you that you will weep and lament. Now, you know that these are words of a funeral. That's what he's saying here. You are going to be crying and hurt and sad, and wondering. Anybody ever been through that sort of thing? Yeah, man. Right on cue, perfect. (laughs) You're going to be weeping, and lamenting, and crying out. And not only that, look at this. If you're a follower of Jesus... The world's going to rejoice at what you're weeping and lamenting about. Can you imagine? You know what I hate? I hate it when you guys hate the Buckeyes. You guys all, you know, they lose and you send me these funny texts. They're they're not funny. It's not funny. Don't send them. I'll block you. No, kidding. (laughs) But what I'm trying to bring up right here is, here you've got your whole heart and soul invested in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord is telling them in advance, I'm going to die. You're going to be weeping and crying, and the world's going to be jumping up and down and saying, yes. This is wonderful. People are going to be there and making fun and mocking. And if you don't think so, you go home and read Psalm 22. 
which I believe is a prophetic psalm about what happened at the cross, written 800 or so years prior to the time of the cross. And part of the Psalm 22 is that they were shaking the lip. They were sticking out the lip. They were making fun. They were mocking Jesus as Jesus is looking out from the cross. He can see it. They're mocking. You could read it. It's touching. And he's telling them here, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to be very sorrowful and hurt, and people are going to rub it in. Wow. People, you live in the culture. You go to work. You have friends. You have enemies. This happens to us. The things that we think are of the Lord or of sad or we're looking into, the world sometimes mocks us. The world's way of thinking mocks us. Why would you even care about that or that person or, or anything like that? Anyway, but this here is the world's going to rejoice and you're going to be sorrowful. I mean sorrowful. That's a word that's sorrowful. <laughs> you're going to be in that spot where you think all has been lost and there's no hope. And you can't think. You, you know how you do it. Do you do it like I do it? When you get into those circumstances, your mind just starts going, but if I did this or I did that, or if this person did this or this person did that, it'll work out. And then, but then you go through all these machinations and it never even works out anyway. I once read a stat that 92% of the things you worry about never even come to fruition. Well, so why worry about it? But you do do that. You're sorrowful and your mind goes, your sorrow and you're in that place, and hear what Jesus says, and I want you to see this. You, you really need to catch this first principle for joy. That's what we're talking about today. You're like, whoa, are you really talking about it so far? If you want to know a principle for joy, remember in the book of Job, we said, as we studied through it, one of the messages of the book of Job is that Suffering is not a bad word for the Christian. How could we be any greater or above our master? He suffered. We, we come into fellowship with the Lord through our sufferings, the Bible tells us. There is purpose in the pain. And we talked about that at length. Look what the Lord Jesus Christ says himself, you're going to be weeping and lamenting, and you don't understand everything the Lord's saying, but I do understand the whole picture, and the world's even going to be rubbing your nose in it. Ooh, I don't like that part. And you will be sorrowful, but here, watch this. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. Now, come on now. Now, I want you to see something here. You've got to see this. This is the first principle for joy. If you want to have joy in your life, you've got to get this and write it in your Bible. Write it in your notes. Whatever you have to do, write it. God doesn't necessarily take away your circumstance so that you could have joy. See, here's what happens. We go into prayer and we say, Lord, if you'll just remove that person out of my life, I'll be happy. Thanks, Lord. 
If you just give me the bonus, oh man, I'll be so stoked. If you give me the new car, if you just, uh, you know, remove that situation, that one situation I just don't want to deal with, the one that has my has a pit in my stomach every night, get rid of that and we'll be cool and you'll be cool and I'll be cool and everything will be fine. And Jesus says, forget that. I'm not going to bring about sorrow necessarily by replacing your sorrow with joy. I'm actually going to take the very thing that you're sorrowing over and I'm going to flip it. I'm going to transform it into joy. Now, you know this. Do you know this? Before I became a pastor, I always scratched my head and wondered, how in Hebrews can Jesus be referred to as the one that sort of had the oil of gladness on him, and yet he's also described as the one who is acquainted with our griefs and sorrows? You ever thought about that? So I always say, well, is he happy or is he sad? And the answer is yes. He's going to take the very thing. You need to write this down. If you want to have joy, get rid of the replacement of the situation. Here's what we want. Remove the circumstance. I'll be happy. The Lord here says you could live in that circumstances for a long time. It could even be sorrowful. And I'm going to take it and I'm going to transform it into joy. The only way I can think of it in my own life it has to do with football again, but I'll tell you, is in the week that my dad died, worst week of my life, 2002, who wants that to happen? Dies on his birthday, driving down the road. Who wants that to happen? You, you, you're just, you know, overcome with sorrow and pain and why, and it's rough. And you guys have been through it too. I know you've been through it. I'm not the only one. It's a tough life and, or a tough time. And, you know, we go back to, the, to our hometown in Ohio and we're there and, you know, the funeral's not the hardest day. It's the day you first see your loved one. That's the hardest day. For me, at least. It was hard. And, you know, how could anything ever even good come out of something like that? You're grieving, you're hurting, you're sorrowful. So we're preparing for the funeral. This has to do with football, and I know you're going to think I'm bad, but I, I just got to be honest. The year is 2002. My favorite team is undefeated. I've been ministering to people for a whole week, my whole family. And it get, you know, he dies like on a Thursday, and it's Saturday morning, and we're in Ohio. I've told you this story before. And the phone rings in my mom's house, and I hear my wife answer the phone. And I hear her say this. Here's what I hear her say. Oh, yeah, he'll be, oh, really? Oh, my goodness. You're kidding me. Now my ears perk up. I'm watch, watching the pregame. I'm going to watch Ohio State play Purdue. We're going to kill Purdue and go on to win the national championship. But I hear her say, oh, really? Oh, no. And then I hear her say the, the, the death words. He'll be right over. And I'm like, he'll be right over? 
Is she talking about me? I've been, my dad died. I'm here. I'm, what? I'll be right over. And I knew she was talking about me. And I hear her put the phone down. And I just want to run out the back and hide in the woods. And she comes in and she says, oh, your brother-in-law's father just died. And you need to go over and talk to him. And I'm just going to tell you, folks, here's what I said. I'm not doing it. What about me? My dad died. Can't I just sit still for three hours and hang and, you know, back and forth, back and forth, make a long story longer? I went over. And we had an amazing time of sharing the Lord and sharing the life of the Lord and comforting. And uh, it was an amazingly blessed time. And it's a time that I was, I've been able to share with my brother-in-law and have never been able to share since or haven't shared since. And then all throughout that week, I mean, I'm sharing the Lord with people in front of the casket where my dad is. And all I can tell you is, I don't know how to tell you this. It only happens in the life of a Christian. That the very thing you're sad about, sorrowing over, the Lord transforms and in some peculiar way, makes you happy about it. Now, am I happy my dad died? No, no. But the thing that the Lord did in you, but <laughs> yes, we'll get to that. <laughs> she must have read my notes when I had them over there. <laughs> Very thing that I was most sad about in my entire life, the Lord turned around for good. Can you believe it? And so when I think about, about those times in 2002, of course, I still sorrow. But in other ways, I'm really, really joyful about it. Isn't that incredible? By the way, what she just mentioned is so true. The Lord used that event for us to start a home fellowship in our house. And that's the reason we're all sitting here today. Isn't that interesting? It was born out of a death. A death. We had been saying, or at least I had been saying, I don't know anybody in Pittsburgh. I don't know anybody in Pittsburgh. I'm not going to start a home fellowship. I don't know anybody in Pittsburgh. And when we were driving back, we just said to each other, okay, no more excuses. We're going to start a home fellowship. Isn't that incredible? So we're sitting here today. So here, I want you to know, if you want joy in your life, the first thing I think you need to know is if you're sorrowing now or if you're perplexed like Paul was or shaken or hard-pressed or pressed down, whatever it is, if you're the, that, remember that it's a momentary light affliction and that the Lord is going to take, I believe, what the very thing that you're sorrowing about and transform it into joy. Wow. You need to write that down. Remember it. Pray about it. Preach it to yourself in the mornings. That's hard to say to some of you. Because I know some of you are going through very difficult, hard things. I know that. But all I can do is just tell you and show you what the Lord says in his word. Well, watch this. He uses this beautiful uh, analogy. He says, well, a woman, when she is in labor... Here's another athletic story. <laughs> when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish 
for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, some of you who are ladies, that's happened for, and some of you it isn't. But I can tell you in our lives, that happened four times. And we forgot about the pain. I'm kidding. (laughs) I sure forgot about the pain. I don't know about her. But I'm kidding around. I mean, she did. I mean, right? These are, anybody who's been through childbirth, you look and go, whoa, wait a second. If it was up to men, none of us would be born because there's no way we were going through that sort of thing. But they do, the ladies do, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And then you get a certain time out and you've got this cute, cuddly baby. We have one over there. We had one over there a minute ago. And you're just like, oh, let's have some more. So beautiful. And that's what the Lord's saying is. It's a momentary light affliction. You might think it's the longest affliction, the worst thing, it'll never end. But the Lord's going to turn it if you'll let him. And we're going to show you where that says that here in in the verse as we go on. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I'll see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And here's the second principle. If you want to have joy, root your joy in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you root it in any other thing, it'll never fully satisfy. It will always disappoint you. But if you root your joy into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, watch this, no one can take joy from you. Now let me give you a little definition of what joy is. Some say an inner gladness, a delight, or a rejoicing. Watch this. This is a great definition. I want you to hear this now. Watch. Joy is a feeling of inner gladness, delight, rejoicing, It's always used to signify a feeling of happiness. Now watch, write this down. That's based on biblical or spiritual realities. You cannot divorce or take away or separate what joy is, inner delight, from biblical realities. If you do, you won't have joy. It's a... Some, some other people have described it as, watch this, a depth of assurance and confidence in Christ that ignites a cheerful heart. Isn't that interesting? Uh, one pastor, I'll just give you, a, I got a million of them, but I won't give you a million. I'll just give you 500,000. Quotes, one pastor says that joy is that serene happiness, which is the result of conscious union with God and good men of conscious possession of eternal life and which raises us above pain and sorrow and remorse. Another pastor, a deep and abiding inner rejoicing, which was promised to those who abide in Christ. Remember in the upper room, he said, we must be humble abiders. And that means stay under the Lord. And I could go on and on and on. And you're saying, well, you already are. But joy. Who here wants joy? People pay billions 
and billions and billions of dollars for joy that will never last. And Jesus says, here's where it is. If you recognize that your sorrow is going to be transformed, not replaced with joy, and if you recognize that true inner joy, the joy that Christ gives us is rooted in the death and resurrection of Christ, you're on your way. And he actually says, no one can take it from you. Well, watch this. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father, and this is key, in my name, in my name, he will give you. Now, as we've said here, the first thing I want to address, or, well, with the third principle for joy, First principle, sorrow turned into joy. Second principle, it's rooted in the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Third principle, you got to plug into the power, folks. James tells us you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask wrongly or amiss. That's so true. That's so true. Here he says, if you ask anything in my name. Now let's talk about this. Oh Lord, I want a house with a jacuzzi and I want six bedrooms and six bathrooms and the one bathroom I want a, you know, a hot tub for me. Come on, man. What does it mean to ask something in the name of Jesus? It means to ask according to his character. You ask according to the character of Jesus. Come on. Would Jesus be saying, Hot tub, eight bedrooms. I want, you know, the lights running down the driveway. I want a basketball hoop, full court preferably. Name it, claim it. No way. There is no way. You ask in the character. That's what name means. You ask in the character of Jesus Christ. And you ask in his authority. It's like this. You know, if uh, somebody really, really rich wanted to give me some money and he wrote me a check and I went down to the bank and I handed it off to the bank and the teller looks at me and says, wait a minute, $10,000 for Mr. Jones? What do you mean $10,000 for Mr. Jones? You know what they're going to say? Turn it around to the back. Did Mr. Jones endorse this? Why? Mr. Jones has given his authority for you to take the money. Get it? Now, we're not necessarily saying we're asking for money, but when we go to the Lord, uh, the Father, we're doing it in the character and nature of Christ, and we're doing it with his authority. We're coming into the storeroom of God himself, seeking all the mercy we need, all the grace we need, and we're doing it under the authority of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? How do we overcome or how do we receive joy? You know the first two principles. The third one is we plug into the power source. We pray. We pray. And then that day you'll ask me nothing. One of the great evidences of a spirit-filled life, folks, I'm going to say it. You're going to disagree with me. And I'm going to say, come up and let's talk, is answered prayer. See, 
Because as many pastors have said, watch this, prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. Prayer is getting God's will done on earth. Which means sometimes when you go into prayer, haven't you had this happen? You're praying, you're praying, and you're like, oh, oh, wow. I've been pointing my fingers at everybody else, and the Lord wants to deal with me. Isn't that interesting? So here, he says, you're going to ask the Father in my name, and he's going to give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. And by the way, many of the disciples, you could go, I won't do it now, back in John 13, 36, 14, 5, 8, and 22, many of the disciples had been asking questions like, what's going on here? You can read them yourself but they weren't asking according to the name of Jesus. They were just sort of discussing it. Okay, watch this. Keep going. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, like I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Uh, lots of things. He just keeps going on and on. I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I'm going to tell you plainly. You could look back to Luke 24 after the resurrection. I'll just give it to you. I won't have you turn there. I know we got to get going. Verses 44 and 45, he actually, after the resurrection, gives them a Bible study. He opens up the scriptures and explains them to it. He talks plainly to them. But anyway, there's coming that time, I will tell you plainly. And then that day, you're going to ask in my name. Watch this. Watch this. This is astounding. And I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. Now, you've got to watch this because in Hebrew, it does say he lives to make intercession for us as he's ascended to heaven. And so he does. He is interceding for us. But what he's trying to get forth here is, I don't say to you that I'll show you, I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. What he's saying right there, and this is astounding, and don't miss it, is you, all the followers of Christ, remember the Old Testament? It was very difficult to get to the presence of God. One man on one day a year could go into the tabernacle to the Shekinah glory, the high priest, on the day of atonement. One man, one time, it was very difficult. And what Jesus is telling you is, boom, you have access to the Father. All of you, not just a high priest or somebody with robes or a guy who has a parking spot reserved for him right up close. That's my shot at that. But anyway. No, all of us can come right to the throne room of Christ. Jesus does pray for us, but what he's saying is, you don't have to, you don't pray to me. You pray to the Father in my name. Do you get it? And oh, by the way, you don't pray to some saint up there who walks over to Jesus and says, Jesus, this is what Tim's praying. Could you go to the Father? Or you don't pray to some mom of Jesus who says something on your behalf. No, you go right to the Father. It's amazing. It's such a privilege. And I want you to see the power is plugged in in love. What is prayer? 
It's a love relationship between you and the creator of the universe. That's what Jesus is telling you right here. You don't have to be afraid because I paved the way by my blood and he loves you. Incredible. That's the motivation for prayer. It's not because the pastor says, we need to get more people at the prayer meeting. No, it's because we love the Lord and he loves us. And that's the important part. part. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. And again, I leave the world and go to the Father. He's telling you about the incarnation right there. I come forth from the Father. I was born as a baby and in in a manger in Bethlehem and have now come into the world. But I'm going to leave the world and go back to the Father. Why is he telling this? Because he's saying, watch this. He's saying, when you see me, no more. And then you see me again. You know what you can remember? These words, mission accomplished. And I'm going to go back to the Father. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. And his disciples said to him, see, now you're speaking plainly. This is funny. This is, this is biblical humor. Oh, they say. Just like some of us, you ever done that like in a class when the teacher says, now do you get it? And you don't really get it. You know, like anything that has to do with math, I say that, even fourth grade math. But do you get it now? And the disciples say, oh, yeah. Yeah, the disciples say, we get it. We get it. We see how joy is made and we, we understand And we totally get it. You're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we're sure, there it is again, that declarative saying, oh, we're sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you came forth from God. And I just want you to see something as Jesus mentions this. Jesus goes, do you now believe? And Jesus doesn't say it like I would say it. I'd be like, you really think you believe, folks? He says, do you now believe? See, he's getting them to bring it to the surface. He's saying, and the hour has come, yes, has now come, but watch this, watch what Jesus says, but you're going to be scattered. That's a prophecy in Zechariah 13, 17, that the sheep would be scattered from the shepherd. Now, get what they've just said. Hey, we get it. Listen, listen, pay attention right here. They're going, we get it. We totally get it. I mean, we're fine now. We're going to stick with you to the end. We get everything, your whole program, everything. And he goes, wait a minute, do you really believe? Because here's the problem, or he doesn't say problem, but he goes, you folks are going to be scattered. See, here's the part, folks. It's easy to be real bold in the upper room. But when you get to Gethsemane, that's where the rubber meets the road. When you're faced like with things like death or hurt or sorrow, easy to say it in the upper room, different to walk it out at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, look, you're going to be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone Can you believe that? He predicts, he tells them, you're going to leave me hanging up there. And yet, 
Watch this for you people and me who get upset when people do this to you. You know, like when your best friends don't hang in there with you? You're some best friends you are. Jesus knew this important reality. And the reality is that the Father would never leave him. And Jesus told us he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Never, 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 never will he leave you. So he says, and will leave me alone, and yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. That's why the, that the Lord could be so patient. He knew the spiritual reality and didn't just look at the human circumstance. Get it? Ah, those people, they backstab me all the time and leave me hanging. You're not alone. The Lord loves you. Because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you. Now watch that in me. This is the next principle. That if you get this, joy will come. I'm convinced. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. He tells them. Your life isn't going to be a bunch of roses and cherries. He says if you come follow me. You're going to have tribulation. He says to his followers. You're a follower. They're going to be pressures and failures and all kinds of things. And you're going to have tribulation. And then he just says this, but be of good cheer. And that phrase means take courage, be of good cheer, have courage, be of good cheer, have courage. I have overcome the world. Now, let me just tell you a couple things. I want you to see this. He didn't give up on his people. Here they are, and they said, we'll, we're sure. <laughs> we'll, you know, they aren't saying it, but they're like, we understand everything. We're good now. And Jesus says, I don't think you do, because when we get to Gethsemane, you're going to scatter. When we get to Golgotha, you're going to scatter. But Jesus doesn't get upset with them and give up on them like humans do. Even the church does with people. He says, you can have my peace. We're going to go through this. I'll even go through it alone. You can scatter. You can disappoint me. But listen, when you're found in me, and that's the point, in Christ, here's what it's like. Who here likes to exercise? Oh, don't, don't, don't do it. Okay, good. All right, there we go. Let's say I told you that we were going to complete next weekend the Pittsburgh Marathon. I know the marathon's not happening, but let's say we did it. We're going to run the Pittsburgh Marathon, and you're going to go all 26 miles. You say, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> I'd say, uh-oh. <laughs> See, but here's what's beautiful about the Christian life. When you begin you're already across the finish line. You're not getting that. In Christ, you begin at the completion. <laughs> you're not getting it because you don't have to strive and to strain. You operate out of a position of victory. You operate out of a position of righteousness and holiness and you were out of shape, 
or at least I was, and you didn't think you could make it, and you didn't think you could measure up, and the Lord says, just count on me. You begin through the ribbon in the Christian life. Come on now. So that when you have messed up, oh, you don't want to. You want to show the Lord your obedience. You want to love the Lord. You want to, the Bible says, how do we show love to the Lord? We obey. But you don't obey out of guilt or anything. You obey out of love. And you're operating already out of a position of overcoming. You have overcome the world. You are overcomers. You're more than uh, uh, conquerors in Christ, but it's not because of you. It's because you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You begin over there. So you never have to strive or strain to be a good little boy or good little girl. You just rest. Isn't that amazing? It's so amazing. And this is what I want to tell you. That's where Peace and joy are. <laughs> the jo- you ever wondered, I've wondered, the joy of the Lord is my strength? What's that mean? The joy of the Lord is my strength? What? It's because you begin in victory. You're on the Olympic stand with the medal around your neck. Because he did it in his life. He did it. He was the spotless lamb. He never committed sin. Although he was tempted like you are, he can identify with you and yet he was sinless in his life. In his death, he overcame the powers of darkness. He defeated death. He paid your debt in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Look, he gives you new life so that all things are covered. Your past is taken care of so you never have to be a victim anymore. You don't have to say, oh, this person abused me. And I'm not saying it's not a serious thing. It is a serious thing. And it takes some time. I get it. And I'm not patting you on the head and say, get over it. Those are serious things that are rough. But you don't have to see yourself as an abused person anymore. You don't have to see yourself as a victim in any way. And those things are tough and terrible. And I'm not, you get what I'm saying? But you're not a victim because you're a child of God. All that's taken care of and everything you've ever done to anybody, all taken care of so that you're free to live in the hope of his coming. It's amazing. You're a victor. You're more than a conqueror. And that's where peace and love and joy come from. Here it is. Joy, you know, is a fruit of the Spirit. John chapter 17 says, why and what is your purpose is to glorify God through your joy. He's going to give you the fruit of joy, but you still participate. You still work with him on that. You say to yourself when you get there, oh, I'm going to recognize that it's sorrowful, but he's going to transform it. Oh, it's rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray about it to the living Lord. I'm not going to just talk about it to everybody. I'm actually going to pray about it. And then I'm going to remember who I am in Christ. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's possible in Jesus. Not only possible, he wants it for every one of us. You begin at the finish line or even through the finish line. And I want you to see one thing, though. He says, these things I have spoken to you that in me, watch. He doesn't say you will have peace. 
He says, you may. Because many in the Christian life won't participate with him in this. They won't say amen to all the yeses he gives you. He says, yes, here's peace, supernatural peace. Come and receive it from me with a mind towards the resurrection, the death and resurrection. It's rooted there. With a mind of communicating with me in love, I'll supply you with everything you need in the middle of that dastardly, rough circumstances and turn it to joy. And on the back end of that, you'll be standing up and going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You'll sing things like joy to the world in September or February on every week because the Bible says in Psalm 40 that he puts a new song in our hearts. Let's pray. If there's somebody here and they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and they want to give their life to the Lord, I want you to come up after. If there's somebody here who needs prayer, you think maybe you've shirked back from the Lord and you just want to pray with him and you want somebody to pray with, come up after. We're going to pray and then Rob's going to lead us in joy to the world. No, I'm kidding. I just put him on the spot. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we come together as brothers and sisters with this powerful word, oh my, in Christ. Can you hardly believe it? We have all of the resources that Christ has. We have his righteousness. Lord, we have peace with you by the blood of Jesus, and you tell us we now can have your peace, (laughs) both. (laughs) What a blessing. Lord, help us, because I know many of us are going through very difficult times, things that are described here, tribulation and pressures and being pressed down. Help us to abide, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.